0: Please be seated, and turn with me, if you will, to Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpa, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years... Both Malan and Chilion had also died, so that the women were left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law And they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law,
1: Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you in the house of your husband.
0: Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her,
1: No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they are grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me.
0: Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her.
1: See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, even if death parts me from you.
0: When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said,
1: Is this Naomi? Call me no longer Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me?
0: So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. May God add a blessing to this reading of the text and cause it to be the inspired word for us today.
2: The Gospel reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. One of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, Which commandment is the first of all? Jesus answered, The first is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have said truly that he is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one dared to ask him any questions. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Once again,
0: I'm going to invite Susan to uh, come forward, and uh, um, because I didn't get a all the technical things about what she does. I'm not going to introduce her that way. I do want to say, some of you may be wondering, uh, Susan today is going to share a story that involves abortion. And I'm sure some of you may be wondering, what the heck is, why is Curtis bringing this up in, uh, in the context of church and why are we talking about this? In fact, I dare say this is probably the first time in the context of worship the word's ever been uttered. I would imagine, uh, but what prompted me to do this is first of all is that Susan works for an extraordinary organization that is not pro life or pro choice or in the middle of that fight, but is pro voice that is giving giving voice to women 's stories, and they do an incredible amount of work in helping women come to terms with all of the things that and the emotions and the feelings that go into those decisions about that particular topic. The, but the reason I thought this was such a great idea to bring Susan here is because it's not just about this, but I'll tell you this many, many times I have sat in my office with women who have had stories that involved abortion, And they have shared that story with me. And they would never, never, never in a million years dare tell anybody in church anything about that story. And that struck me to the quick. Their faith community. Could not be there for them in the middle of this incredibly life transforming event that they 're usually telling me about several years later and is still affecting them, but they dare not share it in the context of their faith community and there 's something in me that just says that is that is not right we uh, this is such a great church this is such a great supportive loving community this is something we need to learn how to make safe space for this and other big issues you know child abuse or any of those things that affect us and carry on for a long time and particularly there are a couple of stories that involved that that you know 17 year old 18 year old girls telling me their story many many years later and how they did the whole thing alone. They made the decision. They went through with it. They, they dealt with the aftermath of it all alone. And there's so many things that go on in our lives that, that are like that, that we dare not utter, Mm -hmm. that we dare not share, especially in the context of our church, of our faith community. And I guess I want to change that a little bit. I want to I want to turn that around. I want I want sacred space like First Baptist Church to be a safe place for us to bring our whole selves and receive God's support and love and caring and be a place where the the guilt and the shame of whatever has gone on in our past can be lifted and transcended and taken off of our shoulders and replaced with the joy of living in community. Amen. So that's why she's here. (laughs) So I'm going to let you introduce yourself and take care of the rest. But I'm, I'm blessed. You're going to be blessed anyway. Uh, She's a, she's one of my favorite preachers in the whole world. And I don't say that very often about many people. So, uh, (laughs) Susan, thank you so much for being
1: here. Thank you, honey. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving and creative God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, of those in this room, those outside in the world, those who are wanting to be in community, be acceptable unto you, O God, our Rock, our Savior, our Deliverer, in Jesus' name, Amen. Far
3: beyond horizons I have seen, beyond the things I've done, beyond the dreams I've dreamed, There's a place where I will get to by and by if I can trust the light inside of me. I am waiting for that light to shine. I am waiting for that light to shine. We have been in the darkness for too long, we are waiting for that light to
1: shine. This week we have seen such fear, felt such division. Wondered how we will get through in this country and in our world. Oftentimes when we look out into the world, we have great fear. It's a scary world out there. And we knew this when we were born into it. Even though we weren't completely aware at that time, we knew that the world at times was scary. Not fully accepting us as who we are, not fully able to listen to us, whether it was when we were crying, or when we first started to talk, or when we first had disagreements with our parents or our siblings or our friends, we saw great fear. We had great fear. And we wrestled ourselves from a very young age with how do we respond? How do we reach out? How do we expect people to reach back. This week has been a week of fear and of terror for many people on all sides of the political dynamics in our country. And yet, the words that came to me this morning from the book of Ecclesiastes is, there is nothing new under the sun. This isn't new, my brothers and sisters. There has been great fear and division and trial and struggle in our world from the very beginning. From our very beginning, from the very beginning of other people who were born many, many generations before us. And there's many ways that we could act out at this point. We, we've seen them all. If you're ever on social media, you, you've seen them all. <sighs> we've seen people act out of anger and rage about what's happening. We've seen people act out in victimized fear and wanting to hide away. And maybe somehow this will all go away when I wake up. We've seen people that stand to the side and judge what is happening as though somehow I or that person is above what is happening. We could act out any ones of those ways or any others. But for me, this particular week, I couldn't wait to dig deep into the words of the bible i knew that i needed that we needed some kind of context to make some sort of sense of the way that we forget to reach out to one another to reach out to one another and know and trust that when we do that someone We'll reach back. Digging deep into the words of the scripture because I wanted, I needed, we all desire some level of hope and some understanding that we're not in this alone. That God is with us on this journey God will continue to be with us on this journey and that there's no better place to work this out than in the house of the Lord. That's why we come here. We come here out of our brokenness, out of our pain, out of our desire for community and love and trust and respect, and we know that we don't all agree with one another, and that is the beauty of what we have. There are not many places, my brothers and sisters, where we can go, where we can acknowledge Our differences and we can still love our God together. That's what we must do. So what is the Christian response to what has happened? And maybe more specifically from my context and from your context, what is the American Baptist response to this situation that is happening around us. I was blessed by God to be raised in an American Baptist context, a place where I was loved and accepted and respected for who I was from the very beginning of my life. I trusted that those people would stick by me when I struggled with things, when I had questions about my faith, when I fell down, when I didn't understand. I knew that those people would show up for me and that I would do the same thing for them. Even if I didn't understand or felt confused or didn't agree, I could still reach out and hold the hands of my brothers and sisters in Christ and pray to God that God would come and redeem us all. That's the opportunity of this time. That's the opportunity. Of this place we know how to get stuck in a fight Christians have been doing that forever our opportunity at this time is to stand above that fight and say there's something bigger and better and more holy and more loving and more respectful than all this muddling around Jesus wants that for us God wants that for us. And the interesting thing is, sometimes we can't find it until we have fallen down. Sometimes we can't see it until we've been hurt over and over and over again. And then somehow, Whether we want God to or not, God shows up again and says, I love you. I want you. You are the one who has been chosen to come and give this blessing. This is what we find in the book of Ruth. The story that we read this morning. Naomi and her husband had to flee from Bethlehem. They were refugees or immigrants to Moab. Sound familiar? They had to flee a place where there was no food to a place where they knew they could find food. And yet in that land of Moab, they were not accepted. People were not happy that they were coming there. And yet they had to stay because there was nothing left for them in Bethlehem. Naomi's husband dies. She stays in Moab because that's what you did at that time. You stay with your sons. Your sons care for you. Her sons married Moab women. And then the greatest loss that we can imagine as being a mother, right? Her two sons die. She's lost her husband and her two sons. And then she says, I must go back. I must go back to Bethlehem. I must go back home. And at first, Orpah and Ruth decide they'll go with her because, again, they wanted to follow the law of taking care of the mother of their husbands. But Naomi tells them to go back. I can't give you any more husbands. My husband has died. Why do you want to stay with me? Orpah says, okay, that's fine. I'll see you later. And Ruth says, no. I am staying with you. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. And the beauty of this text is that Naomi gives a blessing to both Ruth and to Orpah. The one who stayed with her and the one who left. Blessings upon both of you. And Naomi goes on, with Ruth back to Bethlehem and talks about her name changing from pleasant, which is the Hebrew translation of Naomi, to bitter, which is Mara, the translation from Hebrew. She is now bitter, but they have arrived in time for the barley harvest in Bethlehem. One of the reader writers that I read about this passage talked about arriving in Bethlehem in time for the great feast, in time for communion. In time for coming to the table when we know that Jesus has died for our sins and that that bread and that cup have come to new life so that we can see it and love it and fill ourselves with abundance. Naomi probably couldn't have done that without Ruth. And we know That Ruth, being a woman from Moab, would have never come to Bethlehem without Naomi. God makes a way out of no way. God finds us when we are hurting at the depths of our soul and gives us people that will walk with us on that pathway home home to our god home to the table prepared just for us home something we could have never really imagined love and connection and community out of deep, deep pain. Similarly, the gospel lesson in the book of Mark, it's an interesting setup, but a familiar one to us, right? Jesus travels around, people come, ask him questions, he answers them. But in this passage, the scribe asks asks Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus answers, to love your neighbor as yourself. To love God as God loves you. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Refugees and immigrants moving from Bethlehem to Moab and back Meeting people we never would have met before if we didn't just open up our hearts. Who are our neighbors? How do we know? The interesting piece of this passage, the gold mine that's in the midst of this, is that the scribe, the person who doesn't believe in God at all, is the secular, owning class one that enters into the story, agrees with Jesus. The scribe says, You are right. It's a moment, my friends, a moment across difference, where somehow the light shines in and we're able to see one another in a new way. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we're all striving for and hoping for? A chance with all of our bitterness and brokenness and pain to see that someone is going to show up, and not just show up, but show up with abundance, preparing a table for us in honor, in memory, in forgiveness of our sins. When I was in seminary, I was lucky enough to decide to do part of my internship studies at a rape crisis center in Oakland, California. This was in some ways frowned upon by my seminary because they really wanted you to just be in a church and I understood that, but I also knew that many women who were sitting in the pews of the churches wherever I would serve would have had the experience of being raped or sexually assaulted. Men and women, actually. So I went to this training and I learned a lot. And in many ways, it was incredibly devastating. But one of the people that I met during that training was Aspen Baker. And on the first day, when we ran around to introduce ourselves, she explained that she had had an abortion. And that she wanted to start a hotline for women to be able to call to process whatever feelings they might have about having had an abortion, a non-judgmental space for women to tell their stories, to be listened to, to be loved, to be heard. I had never in my life heard of anyone having had an abortion. I knew it was out there, but I didn't know people actually did it, and I was fascinated. I gravitated towards Aspen, and the funny story is that at the same time that we introduced ourselves, I said that I was studying to be a Baptist minister, and she thought, that's the last person I want to talk to about the fact that I've had an abortion. Isn't that interesting? I told her I was fascinated about what she was doing, I wanted to learn more, I wanted to meet with her, I wanted to talk with her, I thought this was really interesting as a minister. And so we gathered together, I think about five of us, five women that started this organization that's now called Exhale, has been around for 13 years, started as a Bay Area program, and now has a national hotline for people to call, and clinics across the country offer our cards when people leave the clinic and say, if you're looking for someone to talk with, we recommend exhale. That's not how it started, though. Pro-choice people didn't like that we were talking about women having feelings after having had an abortion. There wasn't room. It was like we were giving up on the fight. But we kept listening, and we kept talking, And we kept explaining from the various stories of the women that we were hearing, and their friends, and their relatives, and their partners. The people needed a place to be able to share their story. For me, that place has always been the church. But when I found out that I was pregnant... And I had a two-year-old son, and I was working as a full-time minister in a church in New England. And my marriage was falling apart, and I was the only person at that time making a salary, and we were far away from my family and friends. I realized at that moment that my decision was impossible. Bringing a new baby into my life at that time didn't seem just. It didn't seem fair. And yet, the idea of having an abortion as a Christian, as a mother, as a minister, seemed also like that was an unjust decision. And yet... I decided that that was the only decision that I could make at the time that made any sense. But I didn't talk about it. I didn't tell anyone. The church had been a place where I had always been able to go and be fully who I was, and suddenly there was a roadblock put right in front of me. Now, of course, it wouldn't have made any sense as the pastor of a church to get up and bare my soul in that way. But I didn't want anyone. I didn't want my family. I didn't want other clergy. I didn't want the church in general to have any inkling about what was happening to me. Because I knew. I knew what the response would be. So like Naomi I told everybody to get away. I told everyone that I wanted them to leave me alone. But, funny thing is, God always sends people to go on that path with you, whether you want them to or not. A pastoral counselor, a spiritual mentor, a spiritual director, who showed up when the church couldn't. People who loved me. People who respected me. People who trusted me. People who could grieve with me. So I didn't talk about it. And then about a year ago, I'm sitting on the board now of Exhale after starting it 13 years ago. And Parents Magazine reached out to Exhale and said they wanted to do an article about mothers who had had abortions. So Exhale reached out to me and said, do you want to go public about your story? 13 years later, I still wasn't sure. The heartlessness, The anger that could be pushed in my direction felt too much for me to bear. But then what was more than that was knowing, knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that there are other women, other women of faith sitting in the pews, assuming just like I did that no one else Has ever made this decision and so I talked with my ex-husband and I talked with my son and explained to them what this decision would mean and they both said let's do it and so we did and as a part of exhale Aspen Baker who's continuing to be the executive director said to me You can do the article, that's fine. But how do you want to spend this for you and for the churches that have raised you? And I said, I'd love to go out and just preach about it. Talk about it. Be with people and let people know that yes, I have this deep pain, this deep loss in my life. And I have found my way out. And God was with me. And women were with me. And men were with me. And there are still some people who are not. And just as Naomi gave Orpah and Ruth a blessing, I bless those people too. Because this is my story. It's not the same for everyone. But I trust, just as the gospel of Mark reminds us, that loving God and loving yourself and loving your neighbor is a revolutionary act. It took me a while to learn how to love myself again. And I was pretty angry at God, too. But God, as God always does, kept showing up in people and in situations and in grace and in the communion table and in clergy that knew my story and could begin to show me how to love myself. Many of you might have a story like this one. A story of pain and of desperation. And I'm not standing here to tell you that you need to stand up and share it. I'm standing here to tell you that you're not alone God is with you in that wound. And whether the church can show up or not, our job is to also be there with you in that wound, call you back into beloved community, ask you to stop doing the things that are hurting you and hurting other people around you, showing you that just as I am the face of God, you are the face of God, we can offer that. That's our strength, that's our potential, that's the journey that we're on is to walk through the fear and into the love. That somehow, by and by, we can trust, we can accept. We can live more fully into. So what I would like to ask you to do, because when I stand up and tell this story, I need to know that people are with me. Take that piece of paper out of your order of worship, and I invite you to write... Something you would appreciate someone praying for you It could be a word it could be a phrase But it's a chance for you to be vulnerable and for you to trust that prayer works What we're going to do is we're going to collect those cards and when you leave Following the end of worship today You can take one from the basket and throughout the coming week You will pray for a request that one of your brothers and sisters has brought here today Trusting That while we do this We are both a blessing and we are blessed. So I ask you to take the time to write those now. And you don't have to write your name on them. Yes, that's correct.
3: Walking, walking.